Hi, this is Mark O'Connell, and you're listening to Far-Fetched, a podcast about my largely unpaid but mostly enjoyable career as a writer. Now, I would have recorded and posted this episode uh, yesterday, but I got a surprise message from a prospective literary agent asking me to send her a one of my scripts. And she said, send me your favorite script. So I spent yesterday reviewing and polishing the script that has always been my favorite, wrote it a long time ago. It's come close to being made a couple of times, and I still hope it will sometime. So I spent yesterday, like I said, getting the script ready and sending it out. And hopefully that will develop into a story I can tell in a future episode of Farfetched. But right now, it remains Farfetched. The big deal in today's episode is that I recently interviewed my brother Matt about some of our uh, shared experiences as kids involving uh, scary TV and movies and things in the woods. And I'm really looking forward to sharing that interview with you. I'm kind of doing this because I've been inspired by a podcast that my kids are enamored with that consists of these um, a bunch of brothers who sit there and say things into a microphone. That's the best way I can describe it. And apparently it's a raging success, and I'm hoping to capture a little of that lightning in a bottle by having my brothers on because my brother Dave's going to come on in a couple episodes. So between the three O'Connell brothers... I'm hoping we can really get something going here because the three of us are going to spend some time saying things into a microphone. Before I get into the interview with my brother Matt, however, I want to share a story that sort of leads into the, the interview with my brother. And it concerns a babysitting job I had when I was about 15. Our uh, scoutmaster of our Boy Scout troop in the little town where I grew up Needed, he and his wife needed a babysitter. They hired me for the night. Um, God knows why, but uh, I guess I needed the money, so I agreed. The easy part of the job was that once I got to the house, the two kids were already in bed and asleep, so I actually did not have to do a thing. The bad part of the job was everything else. This family lived a couple miles outside of town in the middle of the deepest, darkest woods you can imagine. And Matt has a few things to say about that in the interview. But so I'm babysitting at this house. And first thing I learn is they don't have a TV. I guess they didn't believe in TV. So they did not have a TV. So I had nothing to keep me company. So I'm alone in this big old house with two sleeping kids. No TV. There's a huge picture window in the living room looking out into the deep, dark woods. And the sun has gone down. So the deep, dark woods are really deep and dark. And to top all of that off, I had a book with me. I brought along a book to read. It was a book about mysteries and monsters by an author named Brad Steiger, who wrote dozens and dozens of paranormal uh, books back in the 60s and 70s, and I, I read a whole lot of them. So I'm reading this Brad Steiger book with no TV to keep me company. Big, quiet house, huge picture window looking out over the woods. I'm pretty sure the way they had the sofa arranged was so that you were sitting with your back to the picture window, which of course made me feel like anything could be creeping up behind me at any second, and I would never know it until it was too late. 
So I'm reading this book, really bad choice, and I get to the photo section of the book, and there's a photo that creeped me out just like you would not believe. It was a picture of a television set in the corner of someone's living room, and the TV set is clearly unplugged. The, the cord is just lying there on the floor next to the socket. It's not plugged in. So there should not be an image on the picture tube of the TV, and yet there is. There's a very creepy picture of a human hand, palm facing outwards. The hand is pointed down as if it was reaching down into the TV set and the fingers are pointing down at the floor. And that's all it is. That's all there is to the picture. There is absolutely nothing terrifying about this picture of a hand in an unplugged TV. And yet, it scared me to death. Finally, I realized they had a radio, and though it wasn't nearly as good as a TV would have been, I turned on the radio, and the song that came on was Lady Marmalade by Patti LaBelle. That song got me through the night, and to this day, whenever I hear that song, I flash back to that stupid babysitting job, and that stupid no TV, and that stupid stupid book and that stupid picture window and that stupid, stupid hand on the unplugged TV screen in the book. Man, that feeling just never goes away. Well, my brother Matt has his own paranormal story that took place in that very same deep dark woods just outside of that very same house where I had my babysitting experience. So here we go, my interview with my brother Matt. So I gave you the gist of my horrifying night at the Melzels house. And it was just recently that I learned that you had had a terrifying experience at that same house dealing with that same deep, deep, dark woods that I was looking at through that picture window. Yes. What, what was your experience? Cause this blows me away. This is a great story. Well, it was, it was, I was on a Boy Scout camping trip, and it was just a very informal, maybe five or six of us who were the oldest kids in the troop just got together for a very uh, low-key, very little work-involved camp camping trip on the Melzels' property, and he was one of the scoutmasters, of course, so pretty easy to get permission to go up there, but he had that beautiful hardwood forest which at the time seemed pretty wild and now it's probably subdivided and tamed down quite a bit but at the time it was acres and acres of beautiful maple trees and oak trees and deer and animals running around and and we had this camp camp out going on and I think we had maybe one adult leader there and I think they had already gone to bed but the rest of us were hanging out by the fire that we had built and we I remember seeing and I can still remember it vividly seeing this fireball come from the eastern horizon and go it seemed like it went right over our heads and streaked 
over and it i'm sure it was thousands and thousands of miles up in the sky but to all of us it looked like it was skimming the treetops mm-hmm. 60 or 80 feet above us and and we all just kind of looked at each other and i'm sure we muttered some four letter words that we really shouldn't have been using in the boy scout, boy scout. yeah <laughs> right um <laughs> but i just i remember all of us just kind of wow did you just see what yeah, I saw it too. And we all kind of kind of agreed that that was amazing, whatever it was, and, and didn't think much of it other than, wow, that was really spectacular. And I'm sure at the time we thought it was a meteorite or something. But, you know, just this really spooky fireball and and then having to sleep up there in the woods. And oh I'm sure we were all a little bit spooked by that after seeing that and there's no doubt that we all saw it. I mean, it just kind of, you could tell by looking at each other's faces across the campfire light that we had all kind of been in awe and just pretty amazed by the whole thing. And it, it probably only lasted five or maybe five seconds, probably, if, if it was even that long. But pretty amazing phenomena to witness. So you said you were one of the older older boys in the Boy Scout troop. How, how old do you think you would have been? I, I'm guessing 14 or 15. Mm, okay. And um, how many how many guys were on the campout? I think there were five or six of us. Well, that's a lot of witnesses. I mean, that makes this a, a really a pretty strong case. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm kind of I'm surprised at myself that I've never actually like taken down the details from you and reported it anywhere, or encouraged you to report it somewhere. Because C- you know, a lot of cases that come to light are cases like this that happened years and years and years ago and the witness just either just sort of, you know, filed it away in their memory banks and just forgot about it or, you know, or just deliberately try not to think about it because they just can't process it still. So I think, yeah, there are a lot of really cool things about this story. Did you ever talk to any of those guys about it after that night? Not that I can recall. I'm I'm pretty sure we told whoever the adult person was with us about it either later that night or the next morning. Uh-huh. And, and again, I think we were all just of the attitude that, oh, that was a meteorite. And wow, we've never seen something quite that bright and quite so close up. Mm-hmm. So did, did the scoutmaster try to cover it up? No, no. <laughs> no, you, you know who would have been the scoutmaster. And he oh, was yeah. easy going about it. And I think he, he kind of kind of maybe chalked it up to mass hallucination but when we all convinced him that no we all saw it and we're 15 years old the hardest thing we were drinking was water and maybe apple cider i think he was he was pretty convinced that we had seen something so you i think it's interesting that you said that it was probably 60 or 70 feet above your heads well yeah it it seemed at the time uh-huh. uh, that that it it streaked by very close overhead, and I and well, I remember it was it it was moving so quickly that I'm sure my head whipped around kind of following it because uh-huh. it was so fast. Uh huh. Well, if it was that close, then I would say that that was actually a close encounter, a close encounter of the first kind, which is kind of amazing. And again, the fact that there were even just a handful of corroborating witnesses makes it a really, really strong case. And I just love the whole fireball aspect of it, because that's not something you come across very often. What color was it? Do you remember that? 
I want to say maybe reddish to yellow, I Mm. think, if I'm remembering right. And do you think it had a tail? Yeah, that's that's why I assumed it was a meteor or some kind of asteroid or some kind of celestial something, Uh um, because it did seem to be streaking and leaving kind of a trail behind it. Aha. So let's try to figure out what year that would would have been. I'm going to see if I can do some research and see if I can ever find somebody else who might have seen that same thing or something similar to it. What I'm year do you think that would have been, Matt? So I'm guessing it was probably 1978, 79, maybe 1980, somewhere in that ballpark. Well, I might just look up uh, uh, one of the many flying saucer databases there are uh, available these days and see if I can find anything that matches that, because I think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So kind of an interesting, almost a shared experience because both of our, both of our uh, incidents took place in that same woods, that same deep, mm-hmm. deep dense woods. So that's kind of cool. So I have another, another shared memory question for you. You, you may recall a couple months ago, I mentioned in one of our family chats and just for listeners, Matt and I are, we are child six and seven out of a family of seven kids. So Matt's the youngest, I'm second youngest. Five, five older brothers and sisters for me, six, six for Matt, obviously. And a couple of months ago, after I had posted this question on Twitter, I asked my brothers and sisters about having any recurring nighttime childhood nightmares, as I did when I was growing up. And, I, so, and, I, and you may remember this, Matt. My recurring nightmare was that I would, I would find myself standing out on the back steps of our house looking up into the sky at night and the sky was just choked with thousands of invading spaceships. And they looked like the funny little zigzag lightning bolts that we draw when, when we're kids, which is a, which is a really weird thing for a spaceship to look like, but I knew they were spaceships and they were heading towards me. And I never knew if they were coming for me or coming for our family or, you know, coming for the whole world. And that was, that was kind of the crux of the whole nightmare was just not knowing but when I shared that with with the rest of the family, a whole bunch of you guys said, oh, I used to have a recurring nightmare. And I, if I remember right, like five out of seven of us, and I'm pretty sure you were included in that five, right, Matt? You had a recurring childhood nightmare. Well, I didn't. My my nightmare wasn't so closely related to that, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But I do. I remember several people with with the same kind of looking out the window and seeing tornadoes bearing down. Yeah. On yeah. So similar similar visual sky effects coming mm-hmm. at them through the dreams. And I mean, my mine is a little more mundane. I used to have nightmares of one of you pushing me on the tire swing and swinging toward the trunk of the huge elm tree and then the green <laughs> ending right before I impacted on it head first. Oh, so, no. I feel yeah. terrible about that. And I don't know how that how that ever got lodged in my brain because I don't think I ever got hurt on that tire swing. But anyway. <laughs> that sounds terrifying. But I thought you, I okay, I thought you had a, a recurring nightmare about being like pursued by Bigfoot. Well, that yeah, I probably did have that dream because I, you know, I was pretty into that and yeah, and when I was a kid and and yeah, they, you know, the the fear of the unknown. So yeah, I'm sure Bigfoot made frequent appearances in my nightmare, <laughs> and uh, yeah, 
Yeah. Well, that that's a good segue into your interest in Bigfoot. I want to I want to I, I know a lot about it, but I think my, I think listeners would be interested to hear about your interest in Bigfoot, how it started, and and why you think Bigfoot is such a cool such a cool creature. Well, I think it it probably started from from when you and David and and the rest of us watched a lot of science fiction shows growing up. And and you guys understood a lot more of the plot lines and the in the the nuances of what was going on in the shows. And when I was younger, I I probably was more just terrified by some of the monsters that were in the stories, things like that. And I just I don't even remember how or why my interest originated, but I remember you, I think, and I being taken to the theater by mom and dad to go watch a movie called Bigfoot, the mysterious monster. And it was narrated by Peter Graves. And it was basically a a docudrama. I think they would call them these days where they kind of mixed in live action recreations of Bigfoot sightings with expert testimony and, they interviewed people like Peter Byrne, who was a big Bigfoot guy, and Grover Krantz, who was an anthropologist in the Pacific Northwest and was a true believer. And I just I got fascinated by it and um, just kind of neat to think that there was something wild like that, that that might be roaming around the landscape. And I always had a really hard time disbelieving the whole thing because of the fact that there were sightings in so many different parts of the United States, which told me that this, this, I don't think this could just be a mass hallucination that's happening in one small area. I think there really are some unknown animals that are appearing for short periods of time or, or that live in, I mean, Working in the wildlife field and having worked in the mountains for a large part of my career, there is some truly wild, wild country that human beings just don't see very often. And I, I think it's pretty plausible that there could be something out there hiding out that, that lives, you know, hopefully a fairly placid lifestyle and just tries to stay out of human view as much as possible and so that's, you know, it kind of originated, I think, from the sci-fi stuff growing up. And, and it, you know, and I wouldn't say I'm a fanatic now, but I'm still very interested and my curiosity gets piqued. So when I see a newspaper story or uh, a news story or something about a Bigfoot sighting, I usually do tune in and read about it because I'm still curious about it. And uh-huh. it's an intriguing topic to me. And to me too. Well, I'm so glad we're having this talk because I I had completely forgotten that documentary that you mentioned with yeah. by Peter Graves. So we saw that in a movie theater. I need to I need to track that down too. What yeah. about didn't you and I go see The Legend of Boggy Creek together? Yeah, cuz there were just a whole series of kind of low budget schlocky horror type Bigfoot movies that again kind of mixed in the local legends with the real people and the and the act uh, reanimated scenes where the the bigfoot always scared people or mm-hmm. smashed 
windows or did whatever. And I'm, I'm sure they embellished it a little bit to make it a little more sexy and dramatic. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember going to see several movies like that. We, I, I remember watching one of the, I'm sure it was the legend of Boggy Creek with it. And we couldn't get it out of our heads. There was an actor named Dennis Fimple. Yes. In this yeah. movie. And we just thought that name was so hysterical <laughs> that we were just laughing about it for days afterwards. That's my memory. Yes. Dennis Fimple. And the legend of Boggy Creek. Well, we're unearthing a lot of a lot of really, really great memories here. So, w- would the um, would the famous appearance of Andre the Giant as Bigfoot in the Six Million Dollar Man be part of uh, all of that? Oh well, yeah. That? I mean, I think that for a while there, Bigfoot was kind of in vogue in the in yeah. the mid seventies, and so yeah, the Six Million Dollar Man did their take, and I, I think. If I remember right, didn't it end up being a like a robotic creature? <laughs> yeah. And, and I was I, so disappointed when they played it out that way because I so wanted it to be a flesh and blood creature. <laughs> I remember feeling the same way. And if I remember right, not only was it a robot, but it was controlled by evil space aliens. <laughs> I think so, yes. From a nearby from a nearby flying saucer, which was also a huge letdown because it's like, no, this should be real authentic Bigfoot down to the wire. Right. Do you have any and here's another thing that I've I've brought up in my podcast and and talked with family members about most traumatic monster or creature from TV or a movie when you were growing up? Huh. The scariest monster or creature? As dopey as it sounds, I I seem to remember being very terrified by that Star Trek episode where Captain Kirk fights the Zorn. Oh, and now, yeah. you, now you look at it and it seems so schlocky. Um, but I remember, but, but, but also, and I know you've mentioned this as well, the Zante misfits. Then uh, <laughs> yeah. when you see the little faces on the little ant creatures, I remember having shivers go up my spine because they're so terrifying looking. Mm-hmm. And just yeah. imagine one of those things crawling up your body and biting you. It's just, ah. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned that, Matt, because a couple of years ago, you got me a Zanti Misfit toy for, for yeah, Christmas, right. which is still on display in, in my office. And for listeners who don't know what we're talking about, the Zanti Misfits were from an episode of the Outer Limits TV series I've mentioned here before. And they were foot-long ants with human faces. And they were they were absolutely terrifying. And the Star Trek episode that Matt mentioned, had that was one where Captain Kirk was abandoned on this planet and he had to fight to the death with this terrifying lizard man. And you're right, that is a great episode. And the lizard guy is terrifying. I, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was it was really well done. It was really well done. Any anything else you want to add about monsters or Bigfoot uh, or scary experiences you've had to share with our our listeners? Well, just so a couple of anecdotes, I guess it's you know it, Bigfoot is a very serious topic for certain people, and there definitely are a lot of true believers out there. And I I found that out or have found that out several times in my professional career. I remember when I was a park ranger at Rocky Mountain National Park, um, one of my fellow rangers, we were having a campfire at the house that we shared. 
And we started telling kind of spooky stories to one another. And this guy related a story of a true experience that he and his brother had backpacking the Pacific Crest Trail in Oregon or Washington. And he said that they were in a really remote, super wild area with he didn't think another human being around for probably miles and miles and miles. And he just related that they they came to this part of the trail that they both felt a little bit uneasy and had this strange feeling that they might be being watched and they couldn't quite figure it out. But these are grown men and it's broad daylight, middle of summer, so they kind of laughed it off. But but then he said they made camp for the night and he remembers that they were hearing twigs snapping not too far from the camp and something kind of circling the campsite at a distance of maybe 50 yards and they heard this strange kind of howling noise a couple of times and they were pretty sure it was not a coyote or a wolf and and to hear him telling this story as earnestly and as honestly as he did i mean i wasn't there but it certainly seemed to me by the way he was telling the story and the way he was reacting that to him it was a very visceral and memorable experience so that was that was kind of cool and kind of spooky yeah first-hand story like that and could it have been a bear yes but with the noises that he said it was making and this guy's a park ranger so he knows being outside and uh, knowledgeable about the outdoors and sounds that you're going to hear so I, I thought that was kind of a neat story yeah it gave me goosebumps yeah Ooh. well t- matt just for just for uh clarity for listeners can you can you tell the listeners what your job is yeah, I'm a conservation officer, and so my my professional career has been being out in the woods and the mountains of Idaho checking hunters and fishermen and um, having a lot of fun doing it, but I've, I've had the privilege of working in some of the most remote locations in the lower 48, uh, the Frank Church River of No Return Wilderness, used to be part of my patrol area and I've spent a lot of time backpacking and um, flying in on airplanes and then do, and then hiking after getting dropped off by the fixed wing planes and so I've had a pretty magical career I've had some pretty amazing experiences and and that's part of the reason that I still you know believe that there could be something like Bigfoot because a lot of a lot of the skeptics will say, well, how many dead animals do you come across in the woods, and why haven't we found a skeleton of Bigfoot at this point? And I think to myself, yeah, you would think that you would have found something, somebody would have found something like that, but in my time in the woods, hunting, fishing, hiking, patrolling, backpacking, it's pretty rare to find a skeleton of something. Very often they get disturbed and and buried and kind of, they just, you know, they disintegrate, decompose, and nature is very efficient about hiding that kind of evidence. So so I, I think people that make that argument, it's a pretty weak argument because I think we are pretty arrogant if we assume that we know everything and have discovered everything. So that's kind of my take on it. Well, I, I think what's what fascinates me about that, and you mentioned it before, is the fact that you've spent your career, you've spent so much of your career patrolling wilderness areas, covering more ground in the great outdoors than most people ever come close to doing. And yet you're, you're, you know, constantly aware of how 
unexplored this wilderness truly is and how yeah. little of it we actually see and understand. And you're a guy who's out there all the time and you feel that way. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very cool. I appreciate your perspective on that, Matt. Well, there you have it, Farfetch listeners. Bigfoot is real. You heard it from the man himself. Now, a funny thing happened when I interviewed my brother. Uh, Matt had so many good stories to tell that we just we just kept going. So I have so much material, I decided to split the interview up into two. So the next part will come up in our next episode that I hope you will listen to. In that episode, we talk about the Godzilla movie that we made together. Yes, that's right. We made a Godzilla movie together. In my younger days, I scraped together every penny I had on Earth and used it to buy a Super 8 print of a Godzilla movie, a 90-minute Godzilla movie. And I decided it would be fun to redub the dialogue and make it a comedy. And that's where Matt comes in and my brother Dave, because they all supplied voices for the characters in our Godzilla movie. So that's what's coming up next time. If you'd like to send me a comment or suggestion, I'd love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at at Mark O'Connell underscore one. That's at M-A-R-K-O-C-O-N-N-E-L-L underscore one. All lowercase. Or you could email me at my special new far-fetched email account. It's fetched at protonmail.com. That's capital F-E-T-C-H-E-D at protonmail.com. Thanks for joining me.